Hi everyone, I'm Dalen, founder and design educator at Curious Core. Welcome to our Working in UX Design podcast series, where we interview a UX design leader in the industry on their experience in this emerging field. We've had UX professionals from Grab, AirAsia, Google, and more join us previously, and we're bringing you more exciting interviews this year. Stay tuned for this week's interview with our special guest, who is working in UX design. Good day, everyone. This is Dylan, and I'm the founder and general manager at Curious Core. And today we have a special guest with us with our regular working in UX design webinar and podcast. So today we have Gideon Simmons from Israel, and he grew up in Israel and has been based in Singapore for a while. So let me just do a short introduction about his work.、Uh, some of the very interesting things about Gideon is that he is part technologist and part psychologist. So Gideon specializes in designing experiences with emerging technologies such as AI, IoT, and automation, and brings over fifteen years of experience of working in startups, corporates, and consulting. Where he worked on a wide variety of products and projects, ranging from fintech all the way to e-learning. We have Gideon here today, and I think one of the very interesting things about Gideon is that he's he actually studied computer science、uh, back in Israel, and、uh, but he ended up in the field of UX design, and and today he's he's been the head of product and head of product and design、um, in in his last role as well. So we're gonna speak to him about technology, and we're gonna speak to him how UX is evolving as a career option for everyone, and how we as UX designers are gonna be affected by the new technology, and how we can work with these new emerging technologies that are coming up, such as AI tools,、uh, generative AI, such as all the other stuff that's going on out there in the commercial market. So Gideon, I'm glad to have you here on the show. Thank you, Dalen. Very glad to be here as well. Just for the record, I have a double major in psychology and computer sciences. Wow. <laughs> okay. So now I get the introduction,、uh, which which is part technologies and part psychologists. Tell us a little bit more. Like, how do you see things differently as someone who is trained as a technologist and trained as a psychologist? How differently do you see the work in UX design? Wow, great question. You know, I think one of the things when you finish your degree and you enter the the workforce, you have to kind of like throw away almost a lot of the things that you learn, and start kind of really learn how to build products. I'm very fortunate to have both, you know, the psychology and the computer sciences. And the reason it kind of made sense for me is that I kind of feel like the sweet spot is when you bring the both of them together. And that was, I guess, kind of the catalyst to why I'm doing UX for so many years. As a technologist, I, I guess it's easy. As someone who's been trained in computer science, I guess it's easier for you to work with engineers. Has that been true so far? Oh yeah, totally. So you know, I started my career kind of doing wearing every hat I could.、Uh, my first job was a designer, actually, but. Within just like、uh, two weeks, they fired the software developer, and they told me if I don't learn software development,、um, then they'll fire me too. 
And that's that's how I learned that. <laughs> so for kind of the first few years, I was actually building everything, you know, designing, coding, product managing, and kind of doing everything possible in, in the companies I were working for. And so I can really emphasize with every possible person in the room when we have kind of a team meeting. I know they have a term of someone like you in Silicon Valley. They call you a unicorn, right? Someone who can design who can code and can do product management, and then you can do psychology, right? I, I don't know what's rarer than a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, uh, an Israeli unicorn in Singapore, maybe. And tell us a little bit more, what brought you over here to Singapore? Like the Israel tech scene is also equally as vibrant and there's a lot of amazing and great products that are global. Uh, such as Skype, which is built by an Israeli team. I believe WhatsApp as well. I, I mean, there's a lot of great Israeli innovation. So what brought you to Singapore? Yeah, totally. I mean, thanks for saying that. I, I really, I'm a big fan of everything going on in Israel in terms of technology and, and things like that. With that said, you know, when I started my career, I actually, my first job was in Singapore. When I kind of went back to Israel to, to work, Everybody thought I was like the cool guy who made it in Singapore overseas. That's how I got a few um, interesting projects off of that. When I got back to working for projects in Singapore, everybody thought I was the cool guy from Israel who was doing uh, amazing technologies there. So it's really kind of a point of view thing. I think both countries have a lot of interesting companies and a lot of talent and innovation happening. By the way, I've actually traveled to Israel myself several years ago as a backpacker, and I've actually visited what we call Startup Nation, right? So there's a very famous book called Startup Nation, and it was written around this country called Israel. And they were sharing all the amazing things about why the people in Israel are so innovative. What do you think is the secret of your country, like in terms of like being the second most venture funded uh, in the world, right? After the United States. Great question. I, I may be not the best um, ambassador for Israeli tech, to be honest. But if I, if I were to put my kind of um, point of view around it, it's really kind of like a machine that got built up over time. You know, a lot of smart people kickstarted it with innovative companies and technologies and all that. And it just kind of blew up. Um, you know, you all of a sudden have a lot of really amazing talent who did um, the most com complex uh, algorithms in the world, and you have the best salespeople who went overseas and sold things. And so Israel just kind of started from a handful of innovation and then just kind of managed to organically grow into a powerhouse uh, of talent. And that's the advantage there. You know, you go there and you work with people with so much uh, experience that it's, it's mind-blowing. That's really good. And talking about talent, let's let's get right into UX. You've been a product design leader for more than 15 years right now. And uh, you've definitely seen how this profession of ours mature over the years. So I was just wondering, you know, what's your view about UX design as a practice today? And what's your view about it being a practice in future? Thanks for asking that, Dalen. And and by the way, before I even start to talk about it, I mean, you you are also like that, you know, I think I'm really fortunate to have this conversation with you and probably been in UX for the same amount of time. 
and seen the industry grow. And to be honest, you've done so much to, to kind of grow the industry and the contribution to the community is just commendable. And what I'm going to share is kind of like a mix of um, things that I've seen in my career from my lens. A lot of it happened in Singapore as well. But I think uh, to kind of like really understand where we are today, it's good to look back a bit how UX kind of evolved over the years, if that's okay. Yeah, I think I think it's worth definitely looking at the past in order to imagine the future. So I'm going to start with a UX trivia question to see if people, uh, hopefully you don't Google it or use ChatGPT to, to get the answer. Who coined the term UX and at what year did this happen? That is a very tough one. I'm not sure if we actually had to learn UX history in school, <laughs> in design school. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't think there is a UX history course yet. Um, but I think we have one answer almost right, Don Norman. Actually, yeah, maybe maybe the Xerox Corporation. Uh, that would be my guess. But someone someone there, like in the Xerox Corporation in the 1970s, I think. I think we have uh, somebody from IBM and another Donald Norman in the 90s. Thank you for responding, audience. And yeah, what, what, what would the answer be? Yeah, it's definitely Donald Norman. Kind of he's the, the godfather and creator of, of a lot of the things that we know about UX these days. The term was coined in 1993, which is 30 years ago from today. And the interesting thing about that is that during these days, UX, after he coined the term, and you know there was some UX stuff happening before that just wasn't called. For around 20 years, UX was really just in the academia world. You know, it wasn't really in the industry except for a few companies like Apple, IBM, and companies like that. Um, but everyone else wasn't really practicing um, much things around it and aware of it. It only really started to enter the industry kind of between the years of 2010 to 2017. What happened in these years, which is really interesting, that's kind of like, um, uh, years where UX becomes more kind of um, part of product workflows. A lot of companies becoming aware of it. It's a, it's a title, it's a job title that people hold. There is also a bit of a weird kind of a sub thing happening, which is rise of the UX charlatans. That's people who kind of sprinkle the word UX and a lot of terminology and they kind of get a lot of consulting projects around that. The most interesting thing that happened is that during those seven years, uh, UX becomes this big umbrella term that kind of sucks almost half of the, the terms you know in the industry into it. You know, it kind of like interaction design, a lot of things from management consulting, usability studies, and all these kind of stuff kind of all go into a UX umbrella. Think about Venn diagrams with a lot of stuff in UX in, in the middle of it. Uh, that's how it looked like in those years. Another small trivia question. This one will be a bit quicker. Um, when was the first UX community event in Singapore? At what year? This is testing Singapore history. While people are answering this question, I just want to also say it's so interesting in the time we live in, especially as UX practitioners, because imagine we were doing physics and Sir Isaac Newton is already dead for more than 100 years, right? But we live in a time where the person who is actually practicing and researching on it is still alive. And I think that that is actually something yeah. remarkable about this view. It's still emerging and it's still developing. 
But anyway, we got we got an answer in in the audience. Yeah, he's saying 2008 or 2009, but actually it was on 2012. It's an interesting time as well because there is, you know, if you ever heard of UXPA, is the UX Professional Association. They actually were called UPA all these years, Usability Professional Association, and in 2012 they also changed it to UXPA. So that's really goes to show that those are the years where it really became more mainstream. There were a lot of really interesting use cases around those days as well, like um, the $300 million button by Jared Spool and a lot of these cool UX uh, heat maps for mobile apps and things like that, if you remember. Um, but it, it kind of like these are the things that made it more popular. But after 2017 until today, what happens is UX really starts to explode. It's kind of like becoming everywhere your your mother your sister is talking about how the ux of a product sucks it's usually the, the negative things that they mention ux <laughs> not the positive things unfortunately yes. but the other thing that starts to happen in those um, past six years is that the umbrella starts to break apart you know ux being like everything and everything um, it started to kind of like break apart into product designers to service designers um, UX researchers, UX writers. And so it kind of like starts, you, you can see like the industry getting more understanding of where all these bits of UX fit in, in the organization and how to kind of specialize within it. When we're talking about these specializations what are you most bullish about like is there any specific view where you kind of see we're all heading towards too great question i think we're going to touch this as well a bit later when we talk about the future part of it but definitely you know one of the things that you you see today is that okay in the past few years there is a lot of new schools kind of pumping out a lot of ux designers out to the world um, and you you definitely know one of them here I used to teach for them. Yes, of course I do. <laughs> and what, what happens is a lot of the people joining the workforce, um, they uh, they kind of like, re once they start to do the, the job, they, they realize, you know, that maybe they are not really this all around UX designers and they really start to specialize after that. So a lot of people who kind of, even though they maybe made a career switch from an architect or a teacher or whatever into UX, all of a sudden they are making kind of the second switch to something more specialized within UX. I see a lot of people going to become UX researchers. A lot of them are people who just kind of didn't feel they're that strong in the interaction design or the product design side. You see people who feel really good about UX writing and they do amazing uh, job there. And, you know, and companies need need these kind of specializations as well. And I, I think it's great that you mentioned that those specializations, Gideon, because honestly speaking, as a as an educator who has actually seen hundreds and hundreds of people go through our program, we don't advocate that all of them should become UX designers. In fact, for some of them, we we believe that they would be much more suitable to become UX consultants especially if they're good at talking and selling uh, and facilitating or become good researchers, especially if they have research backgrounds. So there are actually very specific specializations that, and we don't believe that all of them should necessarily fit into the mold of being a UX designer. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, um, you know, to be honest, I worked with a lot of people who did this path. And because of that kind of starting point, which is very much of a generalist, they get kind of this imposter syndrome. You know, this has been a very hot subject for the past few years. And it's real. You know, a lot of people are a bit scared of it. You know, they, they kind of start a bit on the wrong foot. They get a bit burned out and then they start to specialize and switch a bit to something a bit more comfortable. So I think kind of one of the interesting shifts that we should be seeing in, in UX education and all that is people figuring out what they should specialize in earlier before they hit the workforce. And like you said, you know, if they are really good talkers and they should be UX consultants, um, they should kind of like realize that earlier before they really get into that kind of um, uncomfortable situation when they join the first job. Do you have any thoughts about, you know, tech layoffs right now? And I am, I'm, I'm also empathizing with your situation. You're currently in transition as well. Across the board, tech is like laying off people, uh, including UX researchers, including these specialists that we talk about. What are your thoughts about this general situation at the moment? Whenever something like this happens, it triggers a few things. You know, there is, of course, people who are left behind and have to kind of own up to a lot more work than they, they are used to. And a lot more work also includes doing other parts of other people's job. You know, if they are, they are kind of a designer, they would do more of the adjacent roles as well. So that's one part of it. Uh, the other part is the people being laid off, which is, of course, unfortunate. They have to really think, how can they find their next role in a more kind of sustainable and long-term way? You know, and, and that's that's a big challenge right now because you you don't really see where where the light is, you know, because so many companies are laying off. At the same time, you are competing against talent that comes from, you know, Meta and a lot of companies yeah. like Google. Yeah, so you yeah. really have to strategize a lot more harder to, to find your best uh, next role. I think that makes a lot of sense. And when when I see this as an educator, I my heart goes out to everyone who has been affected by this layoff. But also at the same time, junior designers who are actually trying to get into the field, they'll, they'll experience like much, much tougher uh, kind of uh, situation because there are less jobs out there and there are more talent out there. Uh, so that's kind of like an imbalance. But on the upside, I also see this as an opportunity because I, I see companies becoming smarter about the kind of people they want to hire, the kind of products that they are building. And these companies are actually going to get stronger. And we're still seeing some companies uh, doing hiring, right? Like agencies and consulting firms, for example, they're still continuing their hires. Um, the traditional industries like the banks, they're still continuing their hires. So I'm, I'm very, very optimistic that industries are still transforming and UX is definitely still much needed. And we now even have AI, right? Like that's that's coming into the scene. And I think we before this this chat, we briefly had a conversation about a, a very interesting plugin that we saw. I'm not sure if you're ready to talk about the future yet, but I think now would be a good time. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, the, the plugin you're talking about um, is a homegrown plugin by a Singaporean guy called Chen Mu. It's a Figma plugin. Uh, it just recently surfaced up uh, on your social networks, uh, if, you, if any of you have seen it before. But it, basically, it's a, it's a Figma plugin, and it kind of takes text as an input and generates uh, wireframes in Figma. 
yeah, I did an experiment. I kind of uh, asked him to generate an, an screen for an app for dog lovers, gave it like a prompt. It can remind uh, the user to walk the dog um, and also offers tips about how to groom and train dogs. It's pretty cool. From your perspective as a design leader, if I were to ask you to rate the AI in terms of generating a, a piece of wireframe out of a score of 1 to 10 and 10 being the highest score, how would you rate the AI in doing the initial draft? I would give it a 2 right now. Sorry, Chenmu. <laughs> but it is there. It's I don't think the... The right use of it is to take whatever it generates as, as the thing you're going to bring to your stakeholders and to the users. Um, it's really a way to kind of quickly generate and scaffold assets and ideas. So when, when you kind of like do this and you can even iterate on the text input that you want, you'll have some kind of nice starting points and nice ideas to work with and do what should be the right design eventually. I think that's cool because to me this is like only the beginning right and it's it's a very exciting beginning even though you're giving it a two out of ten i actually had an opportunity to speak to chen mu um briefly because we're going to invite him for one of our future sessions uh hope you guys will tune in when he comes on board and speaks about how he designed this plugin but uh the plugin is called wireframe designer uh, and it's actually on the Figma community itself. So please feel free to check it out um, and just type the search term wireframe designer. And he told me specifically that it's a weekend project that he did. And so everything is meant to be very, very simple. And he's looking to make some improvements. So if that does happen, or if Adobe suddenly decides that tomorrow we're going to create a software that does uh, exactly what Chemu's plugin does and, and even way better, right? Adobe is actually doing a lot of things around generative AI. I just saw them release a software called Firefly. What's going to happen to us as, as UX designers? Wow, great question. I think that's the, the cool thing about this discussion is that, you know, we're trying to predict the future. That seems very close. I, I don't think it's that close yet. But at the same time, we're just predicting it. You know, we don't know whether that's that's going to happen in this way. My kind of belief is two things. One is um, those tools will, will get better, definitely, and will still be a tool that catalyzes better designs. Shouldn't be the one that creates the, the end result anytime soon. Maybe in the, in the distant future, yes. But for now, still need kind of to massage it uh, or adjust it into the form that you want it to be. But you use it to kind of scaffold and generate, you know, some ideas and starting points. I think you raise a really good point because the machine doesn't replace the necessary problem-solving skills and critical thinking skills we have as UX designers. Even you rated it 2 out of 10. Yes, it gives some suggestive kind of like wireframes, but in terms of craft craftsmanship, in terms of thinking through every single pixel, I think I think it still needs a human being at least for a good number of years, right? Yeah. On the other hand, let's kind of like remove the AI from, from the equation for a while. You know, I just spoke to one of my ex-colleagues who is probably one of the most amazing designers I work with. And at the company we worked at, he came up with such a, an amazing design system, you know, a very good polished uh, set of Figma components and screens and everything you know so he did it in such a good and efficient way 
there is a very clear kind of hierarchy in terms of components. There is a very clear understanding of what you should use when, more or less. And what happened with that team is basically now a lot of people who are not the UX designers are actually coming up with the screens for the, for the product. And that includes product managers, so sometimes the sales team when they're going to customers and pitching things to them. And they're just basically taking this really efficient set of building blocks and kind of mixing and matching it together. It works really well because there is a very clear convention there. There is boundaries, there is a language, you know, there's consistency. And what brings the more interesting question here is, do you do we really need the UX designers to kind of like push and move buttons around and add another text field and all that, you know, is that really the, the big value that they have in the, in the future? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And it sounds like an amazing design system. I, I had the opportunity to product manage a design system at one point in my career. I was just wondering, like having product managers, having business owners or even marketing people do some of these wireframes themselves if, if they're doing it right if they can kind of create these wireframes which some of them are already doing so as i'm also training some of them um, to be proficient with the software that we use what do you see the role of ux designers being especially in a larger organization right like what what role should they play that's a really good question before we go in there i'll add as well that um, aside of design systems working this way and aside of ai generating stuff for you these days there are a lot of kind of low code or no code tools out there which allow any kind of business user as well to create screens and actually even push them live as a product it just kind of like makes the basically makes the future a lot more uncertain for answering that question for designers. You know, I mean, is that really the value that they add? Should they be the ones kind of changing the color of a button or, or things like that? Have you gone through the whole Curious Core course just to do that? Or is there something added value that you can bring to the table? What's going to happen in the future? That's my kind of prediction is that anyone who is kind of like a generalist is going to be spoiled with so many tools to empower their work. Um, you know, even like ChatGPT that you can generate a UX research discussion guide, for example, I tried that and gave amazing results. So if I'm like the generalist of the future, if I'm, uh, let's say, a product manager, I may be able to do almost all of what I need without designers, without developers, which is even better than not having designers, of course. What am I going to need UX designers for? And that's that's kind of the question that you, that you ask. What I kind of foresee is that UX designers at that kind of stage are going to kind of end up either two ways. One is kind of becoming that generalist, maybe becoming the, the next product manager or kind of like a one-man show that creates everything and then works with business users, with sales and does all the work, you know, don't rely on developers or, or other people. That's going to be one breed of UX designers of the future. And the other breed of UX designers of the future are specialists that kind of find a niche for themselves that AI doesn't do very well yet. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like fighting against time, how AI advances. Um, they'll be the ones kind of bringing the craft, the human touch, you know, um, trying to kind of talk to users, understand them, translate the, the insights. Um, even those things are catching up on AI side. There's tools that analyze UX research insights as well out there. It's kind of like, if you're not going into that generalist side of things, you'll end up kind of really specializing in something that AI cannot do yet. 
and be kind of fighting against time to kind of catch up with it. I think that's definitely a very interesting prediction. And that's yet to be seen, like, uh, what are the actual actual specializations that will survive? Because even if I think about specializations in UX, like, for example, content design, now writers are saying, oh, dear, wow, chat GPT can, like, replace writers. <laughs> then what happens now, right? Like, what's the value of a content designer in a team? And what if one day... AI tools can just take like very, very raw qualitative data from like forums and stuff like that and start giving you synthesis and analysis. Wouldn't that sort of replace uh, the job of a, of a UX researcher in, in this case? So I, I think it's very inevitable as, 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 as people who are working in a technology field that we need to work hand in hand with AI and really just embrace it. And it sounds like we should do less busy work and more thinking work from what I hear from you, Gideon. Yeah, totally. You know, it's not gonna happen that fast. That's the thing that people are a bit misled these days. I mean, ChatGPT kind of dropped the bomb on everyone. It just happened recently in a few months, everybody thinks they understand AI much more than they really do. And, you know, everybody's talking about AI and it's the new, I don't know what, big data or new, some other buzzword um, that we had a few years or months ago. But it's it's still an emerging tool, you know, it's a still an emerging domain. We have amazing stuff happening on kind of generative imagery, and that's definitely going to help UX designers, you know, even come up with pictures for personas and small stuff like that, all the way to imagery across the product and things like that. But for all these like um, generating, uh, a, you know, UI text content and stuff like that, it's emerging. It's not 100% proven as well for a, a long term. It's only going to really see fruits when, when you see it after, I don't know what, one year performing as well as, as kind of uh, human generated content. And it might do that. There is a good chance that it's going to do that. But is it really sustainable, you know, forever? Are you always going to be kind of churning AI generated things based on already existing AI generated things and so on? It becomes this loop. Do you think then it's a fad? Because the last fad we have, uh, which which Meta got around, including changing its name, was the metaverse. <laughs> so do you think yeah. do you think it's gonna be a fad like like crypto, like metaverse that was like last year, right, twenty twenty two? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's definitely gonna be a fad. And like you're you're saying, you know, metaverse. Um, and we know fads come and go every every few years, of course. This is definitely gonna be something as well. One thing that you learn over time is that if you look back maybe five years ago, AI was also a pretty strong buzzword. There was kind of like a time that it, it was really exciting and everybody was looking forward and thinking how to design with AI as well as a UX practitioner and things like that. But these days, it's very kind of mainstream. Your refrigerator uses AI to determine the, the heat. Your, you have voice assistants everywhere. AI is pretty much embedded in a lot of products that we have day to day. And I think that's a lot of this is going to happen to things like uh, the generative AI, you know, chat GPT. Just yeah. going to be there as part of your day to day in, in the way that we kind of normalized it to be, you know, it kind of like yeah. organically falls in the right place eventually. And Gideon, I think you raise a good point, right? We've, we've been talking so far about 
AI competing with us as, as designers, as product people. But we haven't really talked about the reality that now AI is integrated into a lot of software, into a lot of hardware. How do you think like that changes the paradigm uh, as a designer, right? Now we got to design for new types of interfaces, <laughs> new types of interactions. What's your take on that? Totally a very valid question, Dalen. I think this is one of the things that especially people like you who run a design, you know, UX school, you have to really think what are the skills that UX designers need to, to kind of stay resilient, to, to know how to work with these technologies as well, to design with them. I think uh, we're, there, are, there are things that aren't really taught yet in schools that need to start to kind of come into to place. A lot of it is going to be just using these new tools, you know, like ChatGPT and stuff like that. That's the easy, low-hanging fruits. But to really understand how to design with AI, um, I think there is a few things that I would look at. Uh, one of them is prompt engineering. That's a very kind of emerging skill that people need to, to know. If anybody familiar with prompt engineering, prompt engineering is basically how you ask AI questions. You know, it's kind of like, um, let's say you, you put in something in chat GPT and you say, um, can you write me a discussion guide for UX research for so-and-so and so, um, it's going to spit out a certain result for you. It may not be the, the best thing that you, you're looking for, but if you just change a bit the text to something else, you add a, a few more interesting things. So if you add like, um, and I wanted to kind of ask about so-and-so feature, and I wanted to ask another thing and give me another thing about this feature, and I want to understand people's sentiment for that. ChatGPT is going to give you another result that's um, different and more relevant to you. And that's really what prompt engineering is. It's kind of knowing how to prompt the, the AI in the best way. You know, it, it's going to be useful for generating images, uh, text, wireframes using Chenmu's uh, amazing plugin version 7 and everything. So that's, that's a skill I think people start to need to learn. Um, and there is uh, some secret sauces. It's it's a lot about trial and error, but um, I think definitely people can actually teach it and, and teach some secrets of what works and what doesn't work. I fully agree. I think in preparation for this particular interview, I actually went to play with Leonardo.ai, which is a competitor to Midjourney. And I was spending like a good couple of hours trying to figure out how to generate right? Uh, the best image. And initially it was kind of weird. They generate alien, very odd looking skin uh, and stuff like that. But eventually I got it. And uh, a lot of it is about the data set that you, that you prompt inside uh, and the kind of images that, that is being prompted in order for the AI to recognize, right? Including like the quality of the images and stuff like that. So for example, having being able to prom um like very high quality photos from like fashion shoots and stuff in, it increases the quality of the output that that it generates uh which is what ai is about right the the output is very dependent on the input itself exactly like what you said you really have to a bit kind of reverse engineer in your brain how it actually does it and test it out, you know, so imagine you, you learn this as a skill earlier, you can save a lot of hours and do really cool work later on. And I think there were other areas as well, right? Like you, you yeah. briefly mentioned about voice assistants, right? So voice assistants are going to be AI powered. Are, are we going to look at more 
voice related UX type of work emerging. Um, I, I really started seeing a little bit of that on Shopee, you know, like voice search and stuff like that. But what, what's your take? Are, you, are we going to experience more voice related experiences? Totally. And, and I think the, the difference in how we design moving forward, not only for voice, but also for the actual chatbots, eventually they do pretty much the same thing. It's just one is with the text and the other with the voice, is that designers need to really think how to design, let's call it like personalities instead of chat scripts. You know, I mean, until now, when we design for a chatbot, we really look at it in a very sequential kind of logic. You know, I, I enter a chatbot for a bank and I want to get something and then the chatbot is just trying to figure out whether I want to look at the loans or the new credit card um, and then kind of fish that thing and then move on to the next part of the chat. So it's very kind of script-based design I and mean, very logical kind of uh, step points. But when you look at how AI like ChatGPT is moving on, AI is, is not so much going to follow a specific script. Instead, they become like an expert in a certain domain and you can kind of chat with it more naturally. And so as a designer, you really need to kind of design what this new, let's say, chatbot or voice assistant is an expert at and what's their personality like and how they should respond to you and how quickly should they get you to the result that you need um, versus how, you know, things like that. And you wouldn't really think about how to kind of design a script, a very set script. It's more like designing kind of the body of knowledge that it should have and things around that. I think that that's quite dependent on the AI modeling. I'm not an expert in this field, but I, I understand there are different types of models that generate different types of responses uh, for even for something as simple as chatbots. So what should designers do? Right now, we're, we're looking at an emergence of multiple technologies, multiple interaction touch points as designers other than doing our jobs as of what we're already doing like going to figma and doing what we do or doing user research what else should we be doing as designers in order to be like proactive about this type of change my best advice is to find your friend in your circles that's a data scientist and buy him or her a coffee and start picking their brains to understand you know how how AI works. You know, I, th I think that's that's the most fundamental thing that I think give you the best ROI for coffee for a cost of a coffee cup. You know, I can take them to Toastbox and it's just like two dollars. I think really starting from that point, you know, it's really hard to design for something that you don't understand. If you do that, it's similar to prompt engineering, just kind of trying your luck with different stuff and see if it works. But if you really have a bit more insight on what's happening inside, you're able to kind of do a much better job and much faster and more effectively with it. That you'll notice with AI as well is that it's not perfect. It's not linear. You know, um, it gives you predictions, kind of like our, our call today, where it's doing predictions of the future or based on the data set that you give it. When AI gives you a result, it's not always correct. You know, in some cases, it's going to be amazingly accurate. In some cases, it's going to be very poorly accurate. And you need to design around these two scenarios in a very thoughtful way. What happens if the AI is not very confident in the result that it gives you? You give it a picture of a coffee mug and it tells you, I'm only 10% sure it's a coffee mug. How do you use that and give some value to the user versus a situation when the AI tells you I'm 99% sure it's a coffee mug? 
you have to really think how to design within these two scenarios and with this new limitation. That's stuff that we haven't really done as designers before. It's always been very deterministic. You know, you click a button and then it goes to the next screen. You add, you enter your age and then it tells you, oh, your age is 83. But now we are dealing with things that the result is not always as expected when it comes back to the user. I think that's extremely interesting and especially for those of you who are working in the field of like search design, right? Your prompts are not necessarily predictable as well and, and the search results are also mm. quite varied when we think about it. And you mentioned a point about designing for a deterministic outcome versus an indeterministic outcome, uh, which is very, very different. This indeterministic outcome, even so when the AI presents the result or the technology presents the result, we as human beings might not be fully able to tell whether that's true as well, right? So as UX designers, we need to also consider that and do some assistance around that area and tell people, hey, actually, that might be this might be 70% true or this might be 30% true. Um, so I, I think that's, that's a very interesting way to look at it that I, that I haven't quite considered. Yeah, and actually just to add on that, sometimes you have to ask the user to correct the AI and learn from that, you know? So that's one other challenge is that the AI may spit out something and the user actually knows it's a lion, you know? They are human beings and they know it's a coffee cup or a lion or whatever it is. Um, you can ask the, the user to say, is this correct or not? And if they kind of give you consistent inputs, you can train the AI to be a bit better. That's another thing that we need to really consider these scenarios as designers moving forward. It sounds like AI is still in its infancy and we still need to teach it as human beings, even though it's, it's, it's a prodigy uh, in its own right. Like it, it's kind of a wonder child. It can do a lot of amazing things right now, but it's still a child and it needs guidance. And as designers, I think I hear from you, that's also the opportunity for us to to embrace these technologies and play around in our own free time, the tools itself, and, and just kind of figure out, hey, you know, what exactly can I do with it, right? Because it is quite inevitable that these tools are going to be a greater part of our lives, as I'm hearing it, um, and they're going to get even more powerful uh, as we come along. Do you have anything else to add to the future of UX? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing is, I mean, this is specifically for the people who think that AI is going to take their UX job. And don't be afraid. It's not going to happen that soon, to my opinion. One of the main reasons is we, we give ourselves too much credit. You know, like, uh, think about it, Dalen. If you were the next uh, Elon Musk or Steve Jobs AI entrepreneur, are you going to build a tool for UX designers? Or are you going to solve a much bigger problem, you know, like oil and gas or health, social need, you know, things like that. Do we really deserve better tools compared to other things in the world? That's one question you should ask yourself. So if there is going to be investment in empowering UX designers and all that, it's probably going to come from within the small community. People like Chen Mu, who is doing a really kind of good job for, for the community. It will be a handful of companies that may not get amazing amount of funding just to do that. And like you said at the beginning, Dalon is like, 
companies like Figma will probably start absorbing all of the good stuff from outside and bringing it in-house. And that's where the innovation is going to really blow up, you know, and become more mainstream. But I wouldn't worry about such a big disruption in our work, just kind of like better empowerment. And I think people will start organically to learn how to empower their work with, with these new tools and organically find kind of the, the human touch element that, that they bring into the table and their place within it. That's really the, the main statement I would like to say. And, and thank you for making that statement, Gideon, because that's a very assuring point of view. And I think it's also very logical because uh, why would why would anyone else want to uh, disrupt the industry for just the sake of disrupting an industry? And even today uh, or, or recently, Elon Musk announced that he's actually dabbling with the idea of creating his own AI startup. Uh, and it's going to be called Truth GPT so that people can tell whether something is the truth that's being AI generated uh, itself. So I think there's so many world problems like global warming, fake news that's worth paying attention to, crimes, for example, or poverty. So I think tools that disrupt the design industry, um, as you said, is going to be remain to a handful of people who are interested about the industry and and most likely it's going to be developed to help us with our work rather than to replace us. Were there any other points of view that you like to bring into today's conversation? Because I think at the start, we spoke about the history of UX and then we talk about some of its futures. We talk about a trend, which is AI, as well as some other elements of what the future of UX and its practice is going to be like uh, as designers being affected by it. Are there any additional things you'd like to add to the conversation? Not so much additional things, but I think maybe we can shout out a bit on some tools that are emerging and and also, I think it would be interesting later on to see if participants from the audience have kind of a wish list of a UX tool that uses AI and makes their job much better. Um, but I'll start with some, some of the things that I've seen. So there are tools that very simple things like generate uh, color palettes using AI, font pairing, which is an interesting one, always a headache unless you are good at typography. Worry-free generated photos. This is an interesting one because, uh, you know, um, mid-journey and things like that, uh, you're still not sure if you can use it because of copyright issues. So there are tools that are, I mean, Firefly by Adobe is, is another one. So tools that are emerging where you can kind of use the generated imagery a bit more worry-free. We talked about text-to-wireframes by our Singaporean guy. There is another Singaporean company called Pebbly, which actually you put up um, photos of uh, products and it generates the background. So you'll see like your lipstick on the Alps or some something cool like that on the beach. That's a Singaporean startup from um, an ex-colleague of mine called Alfred. There is tools that analyze UX research data, like I mentioned. There is tools that take screenshots and then create uh, design assets in Figma for it. So you can just start using them. There is a really interesting tool. We talked about Metaverse that actually generates 3D assets, you know, um, for the Metaverse, like little cars and animals. And this is another interesting one, also a homegrown tool in Singapore, really good for productivity and uh, your peace of mind. It's a tool that generates your performance review as a, as a team member uh, based on your Slack messages. And Gideon, before you move on with more tools, we're, we're going to compile a list, right? So uh, if, if you're able to, I'm going to get that list from you. 
And for those of you who are um, subscribers to our newsletter, uh, you're going to get a copy of that list. And we're also going to put it on our YouTube channel. So do remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Were there anything else that sort of like caught your attention? There is definitely a lot, but I'm going to stop here. I think it's just maybe a question to ask, what is your dream tool? That's a great question. Like for the, for the audience who are joining us live tonight, thank you for coming from all over the world. We have people from Singapore, India, Japan, Australia, and wondering what other countries, because not all of you are, are speaking, and Malaysia, of course. Uh, some of my students are there. So yeah, what, what is your wish list? What is your t desired tool if we are going to design an AI tool around it as UX designers? I'll start with my wish list. So one is a product tool that auto-adjusts screens to optimize it you know like there is always this question whether the hamburger menu should be on the right side or on the left side let the tool kind of test it out on uh, different audiences measure the performance and adjust it automatically so the ux designers can do more important work that's one the other one is this is dear to my heart something that sees whether the everything is on brand in the product you know if you kind of create a new screen with new text copy is it using your tone of voice, your design language, your brand language, that would be a really cool auditing tool, uh, not a generating tool. Those are really good ones. I think that as designers, there are so many things we're irritated about how when we do design, like, you know, certain things are not good enough or not uh, polished enough, or we just need input that comes more easily. That's definitely those ideas. It sounds like you're quite open. As someone, you're quite open to chatting about topics like these what's the best way people can reach out to you and are you like open to mentoring and coffee you know what's what's your take oh yeah 100 uh i'm on linkedin so just i think that would be the best way to reach me these days you can find me as gideon simons okay for those of you who are listening in and you don't have a visual prompt uh it's g-i-d-e-o-n s-i-m-o-n-s gideon simons and you can find him on linkedin he's open to chatting with you if you're interested in technology he is also uh, someone who would like to give back to the design industry and gideon are you open to mentoring people as well yeah totally i'm i'm actually mentoring a few people in two companies right now as well. Gideon is someone I met that actually has a very unique mix of, of the technology side and the UX design side. So it will be very interesting, especially for those of you who have very similar backgrounds, uh, either from psychology or from computer science. Maybe you want to have a chat with Gideon in detail about how you want to grow your career as well. And with that, I think we've had a very fruitful conversation today and we've uh, discussed so much mainly centered around AI but also around the implications of AI and how we should work together with AI as designers and be considerate about the kind of output that AI generates because someone needs to think about the interaction and the experience around voice around chat for example, and, and this is not something that's usually considered when we're designing very static and predictable type of outcomes in this case. So it's been a wonderful conversation tonight, Gideon, and we're looking forward to having uh, more conversations with you in future. Same here. Thank you so much, Damon, for having me. Thank you, Gideon. And thank you everyone for attending, and we shall catch you in next month's 
working in UX design. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please let me know what you think. Get in touch with me over email at mail at curiouscore.com. I would love to hear from you. Do also check out our previous interviews and other free resources at curiouscore.com. And until next time, I'll see you on the next episode. Take care and keep leaning into change.